0: The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good evening. It's Ed Martin here on The Pro-America Report. Great to be with you tonight. Thank you for taking the time to listen and a great Friday night to you uh, all across the country. People are talking about the coronavirus, and so will we in a moment. But uh, before we talk about that, uh, let me set a few things up. Don't forget, if you want to get my daily email, it goes out at 5 a.m. Monday through Friday. I shouldn't say it's a daily email. It's a week daily, weekday uh, email. Every morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time, you'll get it. go to edmartinlive.com right now and sign up. and you can uh, if you just put your email address in there, I'll send it to you every morning people find it more and more useful, I have to say. Uh, It's got usually a couple of links to articles that I find important, a couple of highlights, and what you need to know, what you need to know, which is the title of this first segment, The Daily Wink, The Wink for Now. Um, And in a few moments, we'll talk with my old friend, Dr. Paul Kengor, uh, and he and I are going to talk about a column he wrote about Bernie And Bloomberg and everything else. Dr. Paul Kengor is, of course, over at uh, Grove City College, a wonderful school uh, over near Pittsburgh, and he is a professor there. So we'll talk with him and we will wrap things up tonight. I will uh, break down for you. uh, Well, a little bit of the dynamic of these events that are being canceled, which we'll talk about in a moment uh, in the coronavirus, uh, what's happening. And uh, before that, we'll get an update. I was in the White House a few days ago and the personnel moves. That it were beginning to happen have continued today. If you haven't heard the news, the president announced by Twitter. Big news, probably the most important job in American government other than president is chief of staff and news on that. So we'll cover that in a minute. But first, what do you need to know about coronavirus? So let me let me get you walk you through this. Um, it's important because there's two things I'd like to accomplish in the first part of the program. One is to try to take the heat and the energy off of the some of the panic. Uh, as I have said before, panic is free, you know, it's free to panic. You can do it without, you know, you just kind of do it. Ah, I'm going to panic. But it doesn't stay free for long. It costs people and it starts to become a bad dynamic. So first thing I'd like to accomplish is take a little energy off of some of the panic that the media is desperately trying to do with the coronavirus. It is a big deal. It is a, you know, uh, spreading virus, but it's going to be okay. There's lots of good news Here in the West, where we have good health care, it seems very, very likely that nearly everyone who gets this virus will be able to get help. Some will get really sick. Some might even die. Uh, But in general, because we have now smart health care, because we have good health care, we are going to have a really great opportunity to make sure that none of the terrible, terrible consequences that you've seen sort of uh, uh, multiply. Again, people will get sick. Uh, And some people will die, just like every flu and every, you know... Uh, uh, MERS and and SARS and all these other kinds of things. So that's the first thing. Take a little heat off this. So take a little of the edge off of it because people are starting to panic. There was a, a coronavirus announced, a case found in Indiana. There's this cruise ship off of California that there's, I don't know, 15 or 21 or something cases. There's three cases in Maryland. Pennsylvania found some and they've canceled schools, most of the school district up there. So people are starting to get a little edgy. And I just kind of want to back everybody down a little bit and say, hey, you know, there are smart things being done. One of the smartest, at least initial things to do was to shut the border from anybody traveling from China, which President Trump did in uh, late January, was a big help. Uh, Slowed down, contained some of things. The other thing he did is he quarantined a bunch of those folks uh, in other places in the world, particularly Italy. They didn't quarantine anybody. They just went out into the general public and they spread the virus everywhere. So uh, that was those were two good things. Uh, A lot of the details that give you a good chance to uh, be ready for this are being taken care of. The testing is being done. The uh, uh, hospitals are getting ready and all that's happening. So take the heat off a little bit of the coronavirus. Don't get too excited. Stay sort of uh, balanced on this. The second thing I want to tell you, though, is it's real. This is real. I spent much of today after being with uh, Vice President Pence and Dr. Burks two days ago, I kind of took the challenge to go and read a lot, watch some YouTubes, uh, some YouTube uh, lectures by Johns Hopkins professor. And the facts are these. The coronavirus is probably not much more deadly than other flus and things. The problem is it's much easier to transfer, to be contagious. So whereas other flus and coronavirus even are are difficult to go from person to person without mutating and sort of running out of steam, this coronavirus we're talking about, this new one, is really good at going from person to person. It actually looks like it's really good at going from people and not getting them truly sick. So you'll get somebody who has a little bit of a cold, but isn't high fever, isn't having respiratory trouble. Well, that guy is a, is a shedder of the virus to other people around him. And so that's the problem with this, this coronavirus is it's going to be um, more Americans by far are going to get the, this coronavirus than got the flu last year it, just because of the, the shape and the, the context, the, the contours of how it's trans, transmitted. So, and, it, and when we do, many of us, it's not going to be anything worse than a, a sort of a head cold. I mean, a, you know, a common cold. It'll be, you know, uh, you'll be sick, but you won't go into respiratory failure. For some people, they will have big trouble. Here's the interesting thing so far, and this is, everybody's confirmed this. Young people do not seem to get really sick. Now, that's a little interesting. Sometimes these, these flus and viruses, you know, young people will be, their immune system isn't ready for it, and they'll be really taxed. In this case, it looks like almost no young people get sort of deathly ill. The people who get really, really sick our older folks who have, you know, more immune comp- immunocompromised and people that have other diseases, you know, they have had cancer or they have had liver transplant or they have some other, uh, they call it comorbidity, something else that makes them more vulnerable. So, but look, as I said, take the heat off. Everybody calm down. That's number one. Number two, understand this is real. This is real. It's going to spread all across the country. It's going to be a challenge to deal with, but it's really possible. It's going to be something that uh, is is not uh, the end of the world, but it's going to be real. And right now, the hysteria is probably more dangerous. Well, that's not fair. The hysteria is dangerous. Let's just say it that way. And we need to sort of balance our approach, do all the good things that we can do, and go forward. I, I wrote down in my notes, pray, plan, and push forward. Pray, plan, and push forward. You know, there's there's nothing to do. There's no no wringing our hands. We're we're well positioned. We have a great healthcare system. We have good people in charge, and we get our way through it. And here's the um, thing that's really interesting to think about. I believe that this coronavirus... And the reaction of the media and the government and the people, which has all been uneven in my mind, some of it's hysterical, some of it's been a little too much, like, hey, well, it's no problem. So it's all been a little bit off. I believe that the um, response of all of us is going to change dramatically how we live going forward. It's actually going to be looked back on as a pivot. Because I see lots of people already adjusting their lifestyle. They're ordering things from Amazon to be delivered to their home. They're not going to the store. They're changing their habits of going out in public. They're changing their hygiene habits. They're changing the way they understand hygiene. A lot of things are changing. I think the schools are going to close across the country, probably for four weeks or five weeks. A lot of them will. Uh, you know, my kids came home from there. It's a private, it's a Catholic school, but they came home from a Catholic school with all their books because the school said, "We're going to see what happens next week." You know, depending on what happens. That's in Maryland, right on the edge of Virginia. So, I think you're going to see schools close, um, and but we're going to benefit from the, the the understanding of what's happened. Broadly, I'm, I'm backing up to be broad about this, of what the borders mean, of what uh, lying China means, how badly China's lying. Late today, there was a story out of, uh, I think, out of Hong Kong that makes pretty clear that China's been lying. They're not through their problems at all. They've been telling the world they are, but there's now leaked footage and, and, uh, and commentary that says they're not. So, the, you know, China's just lying about a lot of stuff, it looks like. So what you need to know is I believe that everything that can be done is being done. And I think our healthcare system is extraordinary. And I think our people are unbelievable. And so as we go through this, like I said, take the heat off, relax a little bit, but understand, we've got a long haul. This is not going to be over by May. It may go a little bit uh, dormant over the summer. But a lot of times these kinds of things come back for a period of a year or two, more like two to three And sometimes the second wave is a bigger challenge. So there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. But uh, the best site I've seen so far is Johns Hopkins has a site and the CDC has a site. You can read more about it. But uh, that's my ideas for tonight and what you need to know. So there you have it. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We'll talk about the White House. I'll give you a little inside scoop on what's happening in the White House and how you can – well, how you can understand some of what you're seeing on this late Friday. So we'll take a break and come back and I'll tell you all about that. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. We'll
0: be right back. Streaming now at the and radio.com. This is the Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Happy Friday night to you. I hope you have great weekend plans. Uh, Noah and I were just talking off the air about uh, the weekend coming. Can't come fast enough. It's been a long week. We had that great Super Tuesday coverage with Andrea Kay and I, but it just got a busy week and a busy week, hectic week. Well, one of the highlights for me was, I think it was Wednesday, I went over to the White House and had a sort of a briefing off the record with um, Vice President Pence and, uh, one of the people who was there is one of my favorite people who works in the, in government in general is a woman named Julia Hahn. She was a reporter for Breitbart, uh, years ago, maybe four years ago, five years ago. And she came out to St. Louis to interview Phyllis Schlafly. And Julia's, I don't know how old she is. She still seems like she's young. She seems like she's in her twenties. Maybe she is. Maybe, I don't know. just, she's a, but she's very bright-eyed and very, uh, energetic and so she came out and interviewed Phyllis Schlafly and interviewed her for like three or four hours on a, in a radio I mean a recorded interview and then wrote up a piece which was wonderful but she had such a good time and Phyllis had such a pleasant time and just interesting. So we've always been in touch, and she's worked for the president for in the White House for some time. Well, part of the reason I think I was included in this briefing on Wednesday was because of Julia. So today I noticed, and I didn't see it coming. I didn't. It wasn't a big deal. There was a column in Politico announcing that one of the senior communications folks is leaving. His name, I think, is Adam Kennedy. Same name as the shortstop that uh, played, I think, for St. Louis as well as the San Diego Padres. And so. Um, the, uh, see, Kennedy, Adam Kennedy was leaving, and they mentioned that Julia Hahn is being promoted, and she's now like the deputy press secretary, which is fantastic news because she's really professional. She's really smart. Um, she's just great. She's a great person. She's a great young woman, and it's a credit to, for the president to have somebody like that. But it got me thinking when I saw it this morning, I thought, yeah, that's the kind of news that people, for lots of reasons that are just, I think, um, I don't know, tradition or just you announce those on a Friday. You don't. It's kind of just a washed out story. And so I was um, in the White House, went down the hall on the way out and saw a friend of mine who's a speechwriter. And he mentioned that Johnny McAtee, who I've never met, is now the head of presidential personnel. Now, he was hired by donald trump in 2015 and worked for him for years as well in the business of politics you called a body man which is the guy that travels with the principal wherever he goes wherever he goes that guy goes with him he makes sure that if he needs a phone or he needs a schedule or he needs a speech that guy is going to run all the traps and johnny mcinty was that for like four years then left the white house last year well he's back and this week he took in his position, took up his position as presidential personnel director, which is the key job at steering people into uh, service in the in the administration at the level of political appointees. Okay, so those two things happened this week. Lo and behold, this evening around, I don't know, 8, eight o'clock East Coast time, I saw it come through. Uh, the president tweeted that he is naming Mark Meadows, the congressman from South Carolina, as his new chief of staff. And the current chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, is going to be the um, ambassador to... Or a special envoy to Northern Ireland. Um, the, uh, but this is, this is big news. And again, pointing out to you, you do this on a Friday. Because stories about personnel are not really, they're not good or bad stories. But they're just sort of process, they call them process stories. Stories that don't really matter much. They're not, they're not really that good or bad. So you just tend to do them on Fridays. But it's a big decision. That's a big deal that Mark Meadows Mark Meadows was in private business for many years ran for Congress was the head of the Freedom Caucus was really known I would say as one of the tougher conservatives in the house but not unreasonable not like a guy that's going to be overly difficult but tough and uh that he has the confidence of the president in this uh period of time is a big deal is a big deal and uh and the last thing I want to say about this because it's a little bit related is um, Mike Pence when he was point, uh, appointed the the point man was given the job of being the point man on the coronavirus stuff. I thought, well, that's an almost impossible job, and I don't know how well he'll do that. Well, I think he's doing it pretty well, and I and here's the thing: I think he's doing it so well that he just it's making him look presidential. And I was reminded that uh, I think it was um, Herbert Hoover. That was before he was president he 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 served in a capacity uh for one of the previous presidents in the in the reconstruction uh yeah the u s food administration is what it was called so uh right around um uh, the um, uh after the first world war, there was a series of efforts um to sort of Uh, help stabilize things. And he served uh, in that capacity in this uh, food administration thing. He also, I think, served maybe as secretary of commerce. Um, And so the point is, he, by most accounts, uh, Hoover would not have been a presidential candidate except but for the service he did that was seen by the world and by America as very competent, so Hoover was a well-known person. I think he was a businessman and was fairly famous, you know, well-known. But his service in government, both at the Food Administration and, his, and Commerce, uh, Secretary of Commerce, is what people looked up and said, oh, yeah, now I can see him as president. That's kind of what Pence is getting. If Pence seemed like a sidekick, you know, a junior member of the team, and I think he did, but very good one. I mean, very loyal. Is there anybody that's been more loyal than that guy? I mean, he's been f- spectacular. And uh, and now he has this platform, the briefing this evening, they do a five o'clock East Coast time, 5 p.m. East Coast time briefing where they're talking about what's going on with coronavirus. And he does it very, very well. In fact, I hate to loathe to say this. And if it ever gets back to the president, he'll be probably mad at me. But I think that Mike Pence is better situated temperamentally for the coronavirus leadership than the president is. Because the president wants to fight and wants to get in people's faces and wants to figure out how to message it. And some of this is just sort of that steady hand. What's happening? You know, not uh, today the president, the briefing picked a fight with CNN, which is always good fun. I always enjoy that myself. But but the way Pence has this uh, stature now is dramatic. It's dramatic. And I I hadn't seen it. I I hadn't thought to look for it. And I don't think I saw it if you get what I mean, until this week. And that's a big shift. That's a big shift. So now think about what we have. We have the president has replaced his personnel director. That's the office of the presidential personnel. He's moved up one of the loyalists into the press shop even higher. He's replaced his chief of staff with somebody that he gets along famously, I'm told. I don't know for sure, but that's what the way it's described. And he's put his a vice president in a position of real importance as well as a real value for him, for the for the vice president, and uh, I think I told you at this briefing that I was at this Dr. Burks, uh, a woman doctor, a, a very um, well regarded or famous uh, infectious disease doctor who was an Ob- Obama appointee. But she was one of these people that when she spoke, you not only knew that she knew everything, like that she was you know totally smart and qualified, but you felt reassured. She just had a sort of way about her. And when Pence was interacting with her, he wasn't deferential. That's the wrong word. He was and it wasn't just respectful. He he knew that she had authority and he was comfortable letting that authority be wielded and it made it very effective. It made him more effective. Uh, It was very interesting dynamic. So I think that's this is a big week for the president in terms of personnel, in terms of empowering some key people getting some people he wants in the places they are, and especially giving his vice president uh, a boost in stature that I think will be very dramatic uh, going forward in the next uh, few years. So that's big news on personnel. And, you know, as uh, uh, Richard Vigory once said, a famous conservative leader, uh, personnel is policy who's in charge is what's going to happen. So it's a big deal. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Paul Kenger, who's over at Grove City College. We'll get an update on what's going on, his column on Bloomberg and Biden. We'll talk a little JP2 and some other things. We'll be right back. It's Ed
0: Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be right back. FM 96.1 North County. And AM 1170 San Diego. The Answer. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. The following program was pre recorded.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here at Pro America Report. Our next guest is an old friend of mine, actually is an old friend. I, I say a lot of people are old friends because they come on the show a lot, but Dr. Paul Kengor has been a friend of mine for many years, and uh, he's a he teaches up at Grove City College, a uh, very well-respected professor. He, he, a lot of his students seem to come down and go to our uh, collegians in the summer, our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles collegian, and they're just great kids, and they, they love um, they love being uh, in class with uh, with Paul Kengor. I want to mention one of his books, which I think is really, well, he's got a lot of books that are really cool, but this one's really neat. It's, it's called, A Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century, uh, came out about two and a half years ago. Uh, In about two months, it'll be the 100th anniversary of the birth of John Paul II. He was born on May 18th, 1920. And I believe there'll be lots of people talking about that. I hope they will. And this book is wonderful. So first of all, Dr. Kangor, uh, do you have any sense? Will there be, I know in Poland they'll celebrate like wild, but any sense of what, um, how people might be marking that anniversary? It's kind of a big one.
2: Yeah, yeah, thanks, Ed. Well, and you in the St. Louis area in particular, which is such a strong Catholic community, and boy, the the yep. Carmel Menzenti Foundation was down there. I don't know yep. if it still is. I know Philip. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. is a supporter yep, supporter of that. And, and but yeah, boy, you just you just reminded me right now. I actually hadn't even thought about that. If I had thought about it, you're right. He was born in and twenty, and I think what May eighteenth, right? I think that's what you said, May eighteenth. Um, yeah, yeah, May eighteenth. Yeah, twenty. Yeah, and so that is. Uh, wow, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. He died in April 2005, so yep. he was you know, well well short of that, of, of, of even his, his 90s. He died from Parkinson's yeah. disease. And I hope that, that, like with the centenary of uh, Ronald Reagan'sburg, which was 2011, there were a lot of retrospectives, mm-hmm. especially in the conservative world, about Ronald Reagan, what he did, what he accomplished, what his legacy was. It was a good time to... Talk about conservatism. Back that time, that was, boy, that was two years basically into the Obama presidency, which was the antithesis of Reagan conservatism. And so now, wow. here in 2020, this would be a really great time to talk about John Paul II and everything from Evangelion Vitae to Veritatis Splendor, Splendor of Truth, uh, some of his other encyclicals, of Theology of the Body. Uh, the mm-hmm. acting person, person in the act. This is uh, yep. the, the old moral um theology of John Paul II. So I hope that gets done, and boy, I hope that, that Pope Francis of Vatican does something too.
1: I know they are. Sure. Well, i will
2: be they'll be. Uh, yeah,
1: there'll be something. But, you know, um, and and by the way, to your thing, to your point on St. Louis, of course, I I, I can't uh, help but um, uh, brag a little on the great one of the great times of my life. In, in 1997, I worked for a month inside the Vatican for John Paul II. I was appointed at the Synod of Bishops uh, as a wow. special expert, amazingly. But but after at the end of that, um, myself and then Archbishop Regali and now then Cardinal, now Cardinal Regali, we I like to say we because I, I claim I was the first one to say it. But we invited John Paul II to St. Louis and lo and behold, he accepted. And in 19 19- Ninety-nine had this incredible visit to st louis in a 20 about 30 hour period on the ground and by that time i was working for the archdiocese in st louis and i was in the middle of all of it i was in the room when uh, john paul ii and bill clinton met i was in the room when john paul ii and and um uh al gore met i, I was the escort of rosa parks the late rosa parks she had requested wow. a meeting with the uh the pope so yeah it was it was extraordinary he was he was a um a wonderful, uh, as you know, wonderful, funny, uh, character full of joy. In fact, I noticed a story that, uh, uh, then Archbishop Dolan of, of Milwaukee was at a, mm-hmm. at a, at a, uh, audience and he, he said to Pope John Paul II, you know, the, the diocese of, uh, the Archdiocese of Milwaukee is growing, Holy Father. And, and John Paul II looked at him and said, and so is the Archbishop, uh, uh because, yeah, uh, Dolan had a yeah. propensity to gain weight. And so there you have it. He yeah. was wonderful. Well, he, and, he, he,
2: and he, and, and it continues to grow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he can, he can, that's right. To grow stature and, 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 and girth. And I say that as somebody yeah. who knows him and respects him. And by the way, yeah, so that was, wow, that, yeah, that was 20, 21 years ago, a couple of decades ago. And also, yeah. too, people in your area might remember this. Uh, John Paul II gave a beautiful speech about the Dred Scott decision and comparing it to Roe versus Wade. And he said that yeah. right in front of Bill and Hillary Clinton. And he made the point that that just as the humanity of the person was denied in the Dred Scott decision by saying that some people weren't fully human beings because of the color of their skin, here you had human beings denied their humanity and will be weighed simply because they were in the womb. And you could have just yeah. looked over and seen the face of Bill and Hillary, and they just—they just—they just looked awful. This kind of awful smirk on their face as he said that. <laughs> but it was—it was a great moral moment. Another great moral moment in his papacy.
1: Yeah, no, you're right, and um, well, it, 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 we're not doing it. We'll do more on this because you're you're one of the few guys I know that can bring so much of the history to this. But I want to come back for one second to your uh, to your recent column because it's 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 the, now it's the key thing because now Elizabeth Warren's out of the race and now it's down to Bernie Sanders who is running against Biden and your column uh, which is up at spectator.org. Bernie loses his billionaire best friend and his possible path to the nomination. So first, before we get to your analysis, you think it's over for Bernie? You think think there's no way he can get there now?
2: Yeah, I do. And 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 Mike Bloomberg dropping out, that's his billionaire best friend. Although uh, right. Bernie would have never considered him his billionaire best friend, any billionaire is an arch enemy of uh, Bernie right. Sanders. And remember, remember that debate stage and a couple weeks ago, just a couple weeks ago, when it looked like Bernie was a nominee and Biden was in fourth and fifth place, and, you know, Bernie looking over to his right and snarling and growling and grimacing at Bloomberg, right? he's ready to call him a capitalist reptile and a bark at him. Right, right, and and, and right. but but at that point. Bernie should have realized, and if he could have looked at the polls the last couple of weeks, he would have realized, too, that in almost every single state where Bernie was beating Biden, like 30 to 20, 30 to 25 percent, it was because Biden was losing 10 to 15 percent of his vote to Bloomberg. And so as, right. as long as Bloomberg was in the race, Bernie had a path to the nomination. Yeah, but Bloomberg was his best friend. but <laughs> you know, Bernie should have been patting him on, on the back, but like any old Trotskyist, right? These guys are so <laughs> enraged they're bitter, and they can't control. <laughs> they just spew anytime they're around anybody with wealth. They're, they're an enemy of a proletariat, right? Right. He, he, he couldn't help himself and badmouth Bloomberg, and now Bloomberg's out of the race. And that clears the way for Biden. I, I, I think that, that at this point, if Bernie will continue to get this kind of hardcore socialist, which unfortunately is now a significant part of the Democratic Party. Uh, that's good right. for maybe 30, 35 percent of the vote. And we might even find if it's more, especially because they're energized. Um, Biden's people aren't, although they seem to be right now. But I, I, I see Biden getting I, I think this should be pretty easy for him the rest of the way.
1: Well, and, and I guess the question is, uh, now that it's one-on-one, you know, you, you, you say to yourself, well, if there's 30% of the Democrats that think that uh, 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 Bernie's the guy, maybe that's the ceiling, right? I mean, that's, that, that seems to be uh, what he, uh, he, he, we're talking with Paul Kengar, by the way, and, and I meant to say, Grove City College, he's the senior director and chief academic fellow at what's called the Center for Vision and Values, and he's a professor of political science, but that Center for Vision and Values is a great thing at Grove City. But, uh, but back to this, um, uh, I think, so your point is, you think Bernie's stuck now? He's stuck at uh, 30% or 35%. So what's your theory of the, uh, Biden versus Trump? I mean, Biden, you're in Pittsburgh. Grove City's out in, uh, in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, that's a battleground state. Well, is Biden a, a real threat? You think it's a real thing?
2: Well, and we're, we're in the northwest corner of, of the state, you know, the Erie area between Pittsburgh and Erie. And Joe Biden's actually from Scranton, which, which is in the northeastern. Uh, we're in the northwestern. We're in the northwestern. Uh, Biden is from the northeast. And he should do pretty well here. And I mean, I I, I was really hoping for Bernie to, because you know Bernie was yeah. was the easiest for for Donald Trump to beat, and he could have made it all about socialism and Bernie's extremism. You know, uh, Biden, who I I can tell you, Biden is, is 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 is. I know it sounds harsh. He, he, he's a snake. He he, you know, he 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 charms people, but but he is. Um, He's a backstabber. I would need a lot more time to give you examples of this, but <laughs> I can go back to the way right. he treated Bill Clark in the early 1980s, Ed Meese, Clarence oh. Thomas. One minute, he's patting you on the back, and the next minute, he has you there in the hearing room, and he's embarrassing you, not just nationally, internationally, but internationally. And then when you're done, he walks up to you and your kids, Bill Clark, and it's with him, slaps you on the back, and says, hey, 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 judge! no hard feelings and ah, i didn't really know what the capital or whatever was either <laughs> hey take care have a good day and you know, meanwhile you're a stock before the world is the kind of thing that joe biden does but but right. to most people uh, he, he he's likable he comes off as this, this positive happy go lucky guy he did even on the debate stage a couple weeks ago when everyone else was fighting and uh you know donald trump still with a very you know, with a majority of Americans did not like. And you know, yeah. John had the advantage in twenty sixteen against running against somebody who was loathed even more than him, and that was Hillary Clinton, right? Yeah. Biden is no Hillary. This is well, to be, this is going to Biden. it's going to be
1: a slugfest. Yeah, it's going to be a slugfest. Yeah. Paul Kangor. Listen, Paul, I, I, I got to go because I got to run out of time. But I have two assignments for you. I need you to write about uh, Pope John Paul II's birthday anniversary, 100 years. I think you're, you're the most credible guy that could do this. So that's oh, one. Should, and then I think we need to well. at least at least have you on about Biden. There's too much there, there. But I got to run. I'm getting yelled at in my ear. I got to go. Paul Kangor. He's oh, the man. Right, right, Thanks, Paul. We'll take a quick break. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Be right back
0: answer san diego streaming now on iheart.com and radio.com Ed martin and the pro america report on the answer san diego
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Great to be with you tonight. As always, a great pleasure. Uh, great discussions. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Paul Kangor. Paul is, Dr. Paul Kangor, is a real treasure. He's at Grove City College. Uh, I often meet students that uh, are, are taught by him, and they're just first-rate kids, young people. And he's got a great mind, uh, a great insight into what's happened with some of the major personalities. Um, one of them that you, I think we talked about it once on the um, Show Stan Evans, the great columnist who had a, um, a forty-year career, fifty-year career writing and leading the real conservative movement in America. He has his papers, and he has written a book on him, and he's just extraordinary. So I hope you check out Dr. Paul Kangor whenever you can. He's uh, he's special. We'll be talking with him about the upcoming celebration of John Paul II's hundredth anniversary of his birth. So that will be uh, fun to see. All right, let's talk a little bit about the growing reality of cancel public events. Uh, Just a few hours before this show went to air, uh, it was announced that South by Southwest, this uh, extraordinary uh, gathering that happens in Austin, Texas, um, which is... um, it's really, it's kind of a, um, it started out, I think, as a tech conference. Uh, it kind of, um, also has film, uh, all kinds of music around it. It's, um, it, it, uh, it's, it's a kind of catch-all. Uh, well, they just canceled it. So they canceled this year's, uh, South by Southwest, which was supposed to begin, I don't know, in about a month, three weeks. And they decided that they had to cancel it and they did. So, um, actually just, a, sorry, a week from now, it's supposed to start, um, March 13th. And so they canceled it. And And there you have it Um, now. And that's that's not surprising in the sense that you're talking about tens of thousands of people uh, coming to an arena, you know, coming to an indoor venue. Um, More interesting question now is uh, NCAA basketball, the Division three playoffs. I think it's the Division three playoffs. Johns Hopkins plays in the Division three NCAA basketball tournament, and they were supposed to uh, host a game on their campus um, this weekend, maybe as the playoffs start. And now let that's. Yeah, Division Three. Let's be clear about this. The tournament was supposed to start in Baltimore and they canceled uh, the tournament. Um, Excuse me. No, excuse me. I'm taking that all back. They didn't cancel the tournament. They said the tournament's going to play, but there'll be no fans. Now, I jokingly said to someone, have you ever been to a Division 3 basketball game? The the number of fans is generally the parents and friends of the team. It's not exactly the most uh, intensely watched uh, thing, but it's an indication uh, of what you're seeing. I mentioned earlier in the program uh, Sirius XM Radio's started a free channel, even if you don't have their pay service, channel 121, which is just focused with NYU uh, Public Health School. I forget the name, um, Lagoon School. And it's focused just all the time on that topic for the foreseeable future on the coronavirus. So it's, um, you know, people are focusing on this. And Johns Hopkins, of course, it's medical school. As well as at School of Public Health is, um, you know, at the forefront, they have an incredible center on actually on pandemics and pandemic preparations and these things. So uh, but back to this, this question, more interesting question now. Is a week from today, the Big East Tournament starts at Madison Square Garden. As a boy, I used to ten, attend the Big East Tournament every year. I attended it with my father, and we would uh, go to the games. We'd go to back then. The games started with a play-in game on Thursday night, Wednesday night, and then four games on um, on uh, Thursday, then two games on Friday, and then one game on Saturday. And actually, it slid a day later later on in the uh, tournament, but later on in the years. But the Big East Tournament at the Madison Square Garden was jam packed it was great basketball it is great basketball it's some of the best teams with some of the most intense rivals uh, rivalries a week from today week from today they're supposed to start that tournament i don't know what they're going to do I, I i mean i don't know how you cancel attendance you're talking about millions of dollars not tens of thousands you're talking about millions of dollars and so you cancel attendance and let them play in an empty madison square garden i'm not sure but if you know um earlier today they announced uh, that maryland or was it yesterday maryland had three cases indiana announced they had a case of coronavirus i mean i just think you're likely to see the numbers continue to rise and and the pressure will be to cancel attendance at these uh, at these games. So you know, it'll be interesting to watch. Here's where you know it gets. Um It gets uh, sort of uh, wild to think about. Do you cancel uh, debates? There's supposed to be some more Democrat debates, at least one more, maybe two. Do you put a thousand people in an arena like that in a a closed space like that? Do you cancel the NCAA tournament, the full on, you know, March Madness tournament? Those now some of those games early on are played before smaller crowds. But still, uh, what about the Democrat and Republican convention? I mean, you know, it's the Olympics. They've already they, one of the, the one of the top officials in Japan who are supposed to host the Olympics have said they're considering stopping. Here's my prediction. My prediction is. Schools will be closed for four to six weeks at least. Maybe they'll close in, in three or four weeks and close for the rest of the year. I think you will see those events. They won't get canceled. They just will not have crowds allowed. I think you will see um, some of the many and many of the conferences. I'm already hearing. I was uh, at the hospital today in, uh, in Fairfax County in Virginia talking to a doctor by chance, and he was saying that the conference he's supposed to attend next week, uh, 10 days from now, was canceled. So my prediction is you're going to see Almost all of those major events that are indoors, certainly indoors, they're gonna, and probably outdoors. Uh, But here's the most pressing one, in a way, because the business model just changes dramatically. What about baseball? Major League Baseball, if you have Major League Baseball open the season in four weeks, and they don't let people attend, the business model is, you know, they get a lot of revenue from uh, from the television, but that's not where they get, uh, you know, they, they certainly don't get all of it, and a lot of what they sell is tickets plus uh, concessions and all the related uh, stuff around it so you, you have to wonder again I think we're headed into an unprecedented time I, I was speaking earlier today with a friend of mine and he said look in World War II people had to change what they were doing and they had to dramatically alter what they were doing they had to you know I think he said that they saved lard and you know the kinds of recycling they did and kind of you know stopped using certain foods and all this kind of stuff well that's because we knew we were at a world war and the question is, will the American people understand what the crisis is and the extent of it? Again, I, as I said earlier in the show, what I've been reading and looking at closely, it seems to me that this uh, this situation is going to be more worse than a flu, meaning more people will get it. Therefore, it will feel like more people die. And maybe they will be by raw numbers, but by percentage, it may be very similar. But it looks like this is something that will spread. And as again, as I mentioned earlier, the um, famous, famous flu of 2018. It came back around it lasted almost three years and it was the year two the second wave that was the most deadly for people so what happens if we sort of get a break by the hot summer and then come the fall um you know october november it kicks back in it's just a lot of there's a lot of unanswered questions uh, a lot of unanswered questions and and here's what you have to wonder how can we Uh, demand from each other or expect from each other, hope from each other, sort of better um, efforts to pitch in and figure out how to do it. That's what we got to do, right? And it feels like the the media is at loggerheads with the president, and the president's at loggerheads with the Democrats, and everybody's at loggerheads. And we and we don't have enough leaders who are saying, "Hey, transcend your petty arguments." We're in we're in danger here. There's people that are going to be endangered, senior citizens, sick people that will get sicker. Um, as I mentioned earlier on the show, it looks like it's sparing young people a little bit more. But uh, that being said, it's um there's a lot of there's a lot of these questions that are bouncing around. But the number Number one thing I'd say is keep getting more information. Lower the temperature of your uh, rhetoric and how you're feeling. You know, try to control that because it doesn't help. You know, panic is cheap, but panic is um, not free. That's pretty good, actually. Panic is cheap. Everybody can panic. Ah, oh, I'm panicked. But it's not free because it causes changes in how we live and how we operate and what we do. So uh, don't go for the cheap way out because it'll cost you more than you know. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Noah, our great technical director, for running the show and putting things together. Thank you to Joanna for helping book our guests. We will be back on Monday night. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be careful. You know, fist bump, elbow bump, and uh, stay well. And we'll be back. It's Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Be back Monday.